your gun, get your gun, get your gun. Take it on the run, on the run. All right, Stellar. Well, welcome to Over There, the podcast about military history and activism in the age of Trump. My name is Terry Brennan. I'm an artistic director and, and activist in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And my name is Matt Martin. I'm a retired Air Force drone pilot and a defense analyst. So there's a lot going on uh, right now in the age of Trump. Yeah, uh, the news really cycle is. is spinning out uh, any given week. This is a, a particularly oh, busy it's week. So but terrible. It's just so, so terrible. Yeah. Well, that's, that's not a good place to start no. because you're the calm one on this podcast. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so let's talk really quick. There's some, some big adjustments this week, starting with the VA. Uh, the old VA. So, who, Matt, do you? No, I'm sorry. I'm actually. I listened to a million stories about this like a couple of days ago, but I don't actually remember who is the old head of the veterans uh, hospital. Uh, the outgoing uh, VA secretary is, is uh, a guy by the name of Shulkin. He's uh, not not a veteran himself, but um, has a lot of business experience with large corporations. Uh, and he was appointed by Obama, right? He was an Obama appointee, so sort of the last Obama holdover uh, for the Trump administration. Uh, and um, prior to, you know, so he, the, the ostensible reason why he's being dismissed is because of these uh, uh, abu- abuses of his travel budget and and having the department pay for his wife's travel overseas, uh, which he has since uh, reimbursed the government for. Uh, but the real reason is that uh, he he has worked to find a balance between uh, the private the privatized services that are being offered uh, for veterans health care and the government services that are sort of the more traditional services. We could talk about the details of that, uh, but apparently there are uh, ideologues inside the Trump administration uh, that want to kill the VA and uh, privatize everything and. Uh, and Shulkin is uh, opposed to that, and so he's out. Yeah, so this is, uh, yeah, privatizing. So privatizing should be a four-letter word, because I feel one of, one of the things that's always bothered me in general about sort of the neoconservative, I don't know if you can call Trump a, a neoconservative, but a lot of privatization has been coming out of, like, I guess conservatives and neoconservatives, but the idea that, like, everything just works better when it's privatized. Yeah. And it might, and, and to be honest, like it might make things a little bit faster. But my experience personally with privatization is that things are a little faster, and they are often a lot more expensive for me, the person on the other end of the uh, on the other end of the services. I, I don't know. I, I just don't buy the whole let's um, increase efficiency, let's um, turn it over to the private sector because it, at the end of the day, it's not so much that it increases efficiency as much as it just like makes it easier to make money if that that's not the most articulate way to put it but basically at the end of the day it's good for people who are privatizing it's not always great for people on the other end of it and i i kind of get frustrated by the argument that um privatization is more (laughs) effective and it is more uh, like it's, it's like it's better for everybody. That's like me being like, guys, 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 listen. Let me eat your dinner, and then I'll tell you <laughs> if the dinner's any good. Right. And it works for everybody. Well, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, boy, where do so so leaving aside 
the the notion that uh, that healthcare is a fundamental public service like uh, clean air and clean water and electricity and roads where, yeah, you may have private vendors that are contracted by the government, but fundamentally it's a government, uh, it's a government uh, service to provide. And why are we insisting that we have to have these giant insurance companies in between uh, people and their doctors just so that somebody can make a profit off of healthcare? Leaving aside that argument, uh, the, the, the fundamental thing that has bedeviled the Veterans Administration, particularly since 9-11, is not a general lack of efficiency that could be solved by some, you know, pr- private enterprise uh, swooping in, you know, a- as, as if everyone who has private health insurance is just overjoyed with the level of service that they're getting. <laughs> And uh, they're right. Right. And therefore that that's who we want uh, administering veterans health care. No, the fundamental issue is that we created a lot of disabled veterans over the last 15 years, like millions of them. And the veterans administration was never properly uh, resourced to handle that. Right. When you invade countries and send in half a million Americans uh, and then hang around for 15 years. So that you end up with three million disabled veterans, either uh, with either mental or physical health issues. Uh, if you don't then subsequently have a massive increase in your uh, VA uh, health resources, yeah, there's gonna there's gonna be huge, you know, backlogs, and no amount of private enterprise efficiency is gonna overcome that, right? Yeah, and I think one of the things that I find frustrating, and I've found frustrating since, I mean, I've I've been thinking about this since post 9-11, mainly because that was the first sort of major world event that happened to me as an adult. So I'm sure there may be examples of this going back uh, a little further than 9-11, but from personal experience, what what's frustrated me is uh, a great willingness, um, often, not always, but often of Republican lawmakers who are really eager to go to war or to um, basically enact military action and are not eager to essentially make sure that we have benefits for the people who've gone over there. That's something that's kind of driven me nuts for a long time. Uh, it's it, I, it, I understand, and when I say I understand, I don't mean I agree with in any sense of the word, but I understand the mindset, but it's a short-term mindset, and it's a mindset that doesn't take people into account. It's very frustrating. I think that um, you and I have talked a little bit about the idea that the military nowadays is kind of its own its own sort of like caste, right? Yeah. There's a very small amount of people who, percentage-wise, who are in the military, and I feel like in in a lot of ways that is the reason that some lawmakers are very eager just to be like, yeah, yeah, send some troops over. And then when it's time for, for budget stuff, they're like, well, I mean, we don't, do we really need this much in the VA? Do we really need this? And the answer is yes. Like absolutely. (laughs) If you're going to send people over there to be injured, killed uh, and maimed, then you owe it to minimum, like minimum, you owe it to them to make sure that they're uh, covered when they come home. And my father was saying, we were talking about this, they they love touting people like the media and in general, just like people love touting like, oh, well, you know, they like saying like back in the Civil War or back in World War Two or people love saying like back then this is how many people died. But mm-hmm. now so many less people are dying. And my dad's like, well, that's true. 
But that's because people who would have died back then are now just coming home without arms and legs, and yeah. we're not taking care of them the way we need to be taking care of them. Well, and it's you know it's not even so we 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 um, you know it's easy to to think about the uh, the combat veterans from Iraq and Afghanistan that got caught in the middle of ambushes or IED explosions and now have serious health uh, issues. You know, either uh, being maimed as as you mentioned or serious mental health issues. Uh, those, those kind of people, I mean, that, that's, that's a serious issue. Uh, they're actually kind of in the minority, the, the vast majority. So there are, you know, uh, at any one time, there's about, um, uh, 2 million people in uniform. That's about 1% of the population. Uh, right now there are about 9 million veterans that are receiving, uh, healthcare benefits from the VA. Uh, they are, uh, that's about 3% of the population. Uh, but, uh, the Veterans Administration to administer uh, health care to those 9 million people uh, is the second largest government agency. Uh, they have about 385,000 employees, uh, a, uh, a budget of o- almost $300 billion a year, right? So, that, I mean, that gives you some idea. And it's not because they're not efficient with the administration of that health care. It's because uh, veterans are, are expensive to take care of. And I, 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 I'll, I'll tell you why that is. Uh, it's, it's not uh, just because of people who come have these serious combat uh, uh, wounds and, and combat medical conditions. Uh, everybody who spends any time in the military has, <laughs> especially if they spend a lot of time in the military has, is going to have significant uh, health uh, issues. And I'll, I'll kind of give you a rundown of, of my issues. I'm, I'm a pretty healthy guy. Uh, I'm 40. You are pretty healthy. Yeah. Guy, actually, that's something I was, you know, I was talking about you like a month ago yeah. uh, to somebody about this podcast and I was noting, and I know this sounds like a, like an offshoot, but I was noting how like, I'm like, no, nah, dude, in really good shape and really takes care of himself. Yeah. So I, I, and the reason I say that is because I want people who are listening to think to themselves, <laughs> like think of someone, you know, who you would think like, oh, this person is in pretty good health because just because a person like comes off a certain way doesn't mean they don't have problems. You can't see like, you know, joint problems or whatever, but I want to hear what you have because my first thought of you, if someone's like, Hey, uh, Matt Martin, health what's the deal i'd be like matt martin matt martin is in like pristine shape yeah. so i want to hear this because uh looks can be deceiving the, the, they can right so uh yeah so uh, you know i i my by the numbers my, my health looks pretty good and uh, i run four to five miles most most morning uh i ran a marathon to sort of cap off my air force career uh, two years ago uh, my, you know, uh, everything that you typically look at uh, for, you know, cholesterol and resting heart rate and uh, blood pressure, all, you know, textbook, uh, good, good. Uh, but uh, the, but I, I have a 40% disability rating from the Veterans Administration. Uh, and the reason for that is when you are getting ready to separate from the military, uh, they have an exhaustive review process whereby they cattle, you know, they, when you first join the military, they do a very extensive baseline physical. Uh, of course, I was going to fly airplanes and deal with nuclear weapons, and so mine may have been a little bit more uh, extensive than than typical. But it's it's pretty common that that when you join the military, regardless of whatever your job is going to be, uh, the 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 government is going to have a very fine accounting of the status of your health when you join, and then they do the same thing when you exit. Uh, and then they compare the two and they go down the list. Uh, and so and then that you have a, veter- a VA counselor who uh, whose job it is to make sure that 
they are capturing uh, every change in your health status that occurred over that period of time uh, and document any issues that you're having so that they can then ultimately make a disability rating. And I had, you know, when I was when I was about to retire, I went to I had uh, numerous appointments at the local VA hospital uh, where every specialty you can think of examined me, uh, including mental health, um, to determine, you know, what's going on. And as, as a result of all that, uh, they discovered uh, that my spine is crooked from 4,000 hours of flying airplanes, uh, that my hearing took a big hit from being around jets all those years, uh, that I've got nerve damage all up and down my right hand. Uh, uh, really? Yeah. And, um, and the list kind of goes on from there, right? So, so uh, even though I, I look and feel pretty good, uh, I get this 40% disability rating from the VA. And that entitled me to $662 a month tax-free and uh, health care for life from the Veterans Administration, right? And, and I, I don't think I'm atypical uh, with this experience. And so, so uh, the VA is big. It has a huge budget. It has a huge responsibility. Yeah, and I think that it's important, like, like you were saying, you know, like, again, like, besides me just, like, bragging about what great shape you're in, um... <laughs> On top of that, like, to be honest, if, if, uh, if somebody were just to meet you at a party, right? If someone were just to meet you at a party and chit chat and find out that, oh, yo, you're a, you know, you're a consultant now, you used to fly planes, you flew drones, you did a lot of things. Like, you're not the, the face of what we think of when we think of, like, oh, someone who really needs to use the VA. Sure. And so again, uh, I think that can be deceiving because of the fact that it's like, like, like when we, when we think of this kind of, I think you hit on this earlier, when we think of this, we think of like pictures that you see in Newsweek and time where like, you're like, Hey, look at this guy with like two, like, uh, uh, two prosthetic legs yeah. and like, um, or, Oh, this person, like, like you said, like was in an IED, um, ambush. Those, like you were saying are, are such a small part of what the, of who the VA covers, there are so many people who just have um, problems that aren't, you know, uh, news making, and and they that doesn't mean that they don't need care for the things uh, that they need. I ran into a couple years ago. I was walking my dog to a park I really like to go to in South Philly, and uh, this guy walked up to me, wanted to chat, uh, and uh, was uh, real friendly. A little too friendly at first. I'm like, I don't know you. What are you doing over here? And uh, which happens all the time in Philadelphia. People are like, let me chat with you. And you're always nervous. You're like, is this gonna? You gonna ask me for for money or what? What? what, What's the deal? We just met and you're really friendly. But this guy was incredibly lonely, and uh, he wanted to talk to me and uh, chat with. And so I was like, yeah, let's chat. I'm not going anywhere. Uh, And he explained that you know he was a veteran and he was explaining that like um, he had some sort of problem with his knee and his hip. Uh, Wasn't. It wasn't super obvious. <clears throat> Pardon me. It wasn't super obvious uh, when I watched him walk that those were the problems he had. He sat down. He explained that he was a vet. Uh, he explained that he was in Iraq. He was about my age, and uh, so he's about forty. And and we we chatted a little bit. And he also talked about he had how he had uh, some not serious, but he had PTSD. And he talked a lot about how he needed the VA all the time. Mm-hmm. And he, he was frustrated because he couldn't get in as often as he needed to. Yeah. And and if anything, I was like, oh, that's rough. Like, So you need to go in more, and you, you can't get in as often as you can. And 
uh, his his big thing was then he was uh, then he offered me a joint and he explained <laughs> that that uh, that he was basically self medicating with marijuana sure. uh, for his knee yeah. because he couldn't get in as often. But his whole thing was I mean his whole thing was like Hey, how are you? I'm incredibly lonely. Will you talk to me? I'm like Sure. Yeah. I'm at a park at like ten in the morning. But my point is is that like if I were to see he, he's another person where like you know he didn't he doesn't seem like uh, again it's not like he came down i was like oh man like you were in like the war he was just a guy and most of his problems were actually like stuff that no one can really see including like ptsd that was uh as he described it like mild to medium and if he doesn't get the care that he needs i mean he was already suffering from the fact that he couldn't get the care that he needs and now we we are moving in this direction where we want to like quote unquote privatize which you know when there's money to be made there are corners to be cut i've found and <laughs> yeah. and and it's it's you know i'm i'm a big believer in just going a little slower and making sure everything gets covered and if it's a little bit inconvenient for you know even for all of us like so be it i would rather that we move in the direction of like a little bit slower and a little more thorough than like a little more um a little more commercial I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't feel, I, I'm frustrated enough, as you were saying earlier, with the idea that healthcare in general is like a money making enterprise. Like, I feel like that is the reason that I have had healthcare problems my whole life and I've had insurance problems my whole life. And a lot of it can be yeah. just traced back to like, look, I just need to go to the doctor for some things and having to jump through hoops of like, well, like, I mean, when Obamacare came along, that was a big help because most of my problems weren't coverable. They were like, hey, uh, you can pay for insurance in case like, uh, you get into a car accident, but if you come in for asthma or your epilepsy, we're not covering it. And I'm just like, then what's the point of even having insurance? Because that's what I'm probably going to use it for. Um, and to do this to veterans, I think, is um, for someone who claims to be like a law and order and a big military guy, which we all know is uh, not the case, but yeah. like, it's, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sham and it's kind of shameful. It is. It's... it's uh it's it's kind of outrageous, right? Uh, uh, especially to be casually considering uh, uh, further embroiling the U.S. military into these conflicts around the world, uh, as signaled by the hiring of somebody like John Bolton uh, and uh, <laughs> and uh, potentially creating a lot more veterans. Uh, the idea that you're, you know, you're going to dismantle the State Department, or I'm sorry, the Veterans Administration. I'm thinking of the State Department because, <laughs> because, uh, well, that's being taken apart slowly too. Well, right, right, uh, and, and I mean, here's the, but of course, it, it's it's utterly baffling, right, to the fire Shulkin and then appoint the active duty two star admiral, who's the per- the do- personal doctor uh, of the president, who has no either business or large organization administrative experience. Uh, so that you can uh, privatize the mil- uh, the VA better, uh, that that's utterly baffling as well. I mean, like if they really wanted to dismantle the VA, they would have hired somebody like Rex Tillerson to do the hatchet job that he did on the State Department. Uh, but they hired this active duty two star doctor uh, who's never run any large organization. Uh, I, I I mean, it's it's it, it boggles the mind. Doesn't make any sense. I have a quick question. I didn't know that he was a two-star admiral. And then you're telling me that... So talk to me about that, because... Uh, and, and forgive me if I sound a little bit ignorant or, or naive, but... So if he's a two-star admiral, you're saying he's never run like a... He doesn't run things in the Navy, or how does how does that work? 
so for the for the medical corps, uh, they typically uh, we do what we call direct commissioning, which is uh, you know the military doesn't train its own doctors because doctors take a long long time to train. The military directly recruits doctors, and when you are directly recruited by the military and you are a distinguished doctor, right? You're board certified. You have a lot of experience. You have all the different degrees you're supposed to have. Then that equates to a higher rank of commissioning. Now I don't know. Uh, I don't know at what rank the current um, uh, president's doctor was commissioned as, uh, but I remember when I was going through flight school, uh, we were going. You know, we had a, a class of of student aviators. Uh, alongside a class of um, flight surgeons that the military had just recruited, and the leader of that um, of that class of flight surgeons was a plastic surgeon who had had a thirty year career uh, as a very distinguished plastic surgeon, and he had you know all the board certifications. Uh, so he was obviously a very accomplished plastic surgeon, and so they commissioned him directly as a Navy captain. A uh, an 06 equivalent of a of an Air Force uh, full bird colonel, uh, even though he had zero military experience and had never run an organization bigger than his own private practice. Right. Uh, so just because, you know, so when it comes to the medical corps, you know, just because you have an officer that's very highly that has a very high rank, uh, that does not mean that 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 doctor has any actual experience <laughs> of running large organizations. Okay, so it's I see what you're saying. So, it, so yeah, okay, so you're saying they don't have to come up. It's not like he was like a soldier who was also right. trained as a doctor and rose up through the soldier ranks and now was doctoring That's all right. over the place. It's uh, They were like, hey, here's essentially like uh, a high rank, and the reason you get the high rank is because you're going to have to tell people what to do uh, in the event sure. of a medical right. emergency, and here we work well, in a hierarchy. Right. And, and if, you, okay. if you're going to be the president's personal doctor, and you're going to make life or death decisions about the president of the United States, then that you know entails a, a large amount of responsibility, uh, and, and, hence, and hence the two-star rank. But, but that doesn't mean you can run the second largest organization or the federal agency Right. You know, that's something we've seen again and again with this administration is that like, yes, that like apparently uh, if you just got good feelings about a person, you can just do a thing. And that's not I mean, that's not really the case. You know, I people had good feelings about me when I was like 30 and they had me run a gymnastics department. Uh-huh. And that was a mess. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. And that was like I had a staff of like five people and I totally crashed wow. that plane. Um but yeah. so yeah, just because you just because you have a good feeling or just because they're good at one thing doesn't mean they're good at another thing. And I think that it's hard to tell sometimes whether this president if it's something he does on purpose because he is trying to dismantle these organizations from the inside or, or sort of kneecap them or if uh or if he's just stupid. And I mean, I think a lot of days it's the second, but it's hard to tell. It really is hard to tell. Like it really is. Because like, it really is. When you put somebody like Mick Mulvaney, and we'll we'll get back into the military matters in a second, but when you put somebody like Mick Mulvaney in charge of the uh, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, like that's a purposeful choice because you're like, I want to like kill this agency. But when you put your yeah. personal doctor because you're into him in charge of the VA, you have to ask, so is this like, are we trying to just slow down the VA or are you really dumb? And I, I, I lean towards dumb. I actually think it's some of it's just like, I'm not very smart. And I think of things like a TV show, in which case yeah. you can 
cast all you want, right? The thing about TV shows is if someone looks the part and can say lines, great, it's done. But running the VA is more than just being a PR face. Yeah, so, you know, it remains to be seen if uh, if this appointee will actually get confirmed. Uh, you know, of course, there's a law that says active duty military officers cannot run cabinet agencies uh, unless they have the specific authorization from Congress. And uh, so, uh, you know, that will probably take six months to a year to get sorted out. Uh, but in the meantime, it means that uh, the, the, the VA will have an acting uh, secretary who doesn't have any real authority to make any changes. Uh, and that means that things that need to get fixed won't get fixed. Uh, and the veterans will continue to, you know, get occasionally a, a hard time getting their benefits. Uh, and that's just, uh, it's just, it's just the worst. It's really it's disheartening. It's, I mean, it's, it's incredibly disheartening. It also makes you wonder, no, this is, this is another thing that I want to transition into um, uh, another con for me coming up. So, uh-huh. so uh, the, um, <laughs> which is that you also just wonder sometimes there's a, a strategy that I know that lawmakers talk about called starving. Is it starving the beast? Yeah. Basically it's, yeah, it's basically when you like you uh, balloon deficits and you're like, Oh man, these deficits are so big because we made some intentionally stupid choices. Now we should cut the programs we don't like. Yeah. And I sometimes also wonder if like putting people it, like you're saying, if it's going to take six months for, for, to a year to sort out, and in the meantime, you're going to have someone who can't really, who doesn't have any actual real authority, if you're just trying to make a situation worse and then suggest a terrible solution, that before the bad situation, no one would go for the terrible solution. You're like, hey, I've got this idea. Let's uh, let's privatize the VA. And everyone's like, the VA is doing fine. If anything, we need to like put more funds into it. And then right. you're like, cool, what I'll do is I'll completely, I'll make it completely impossible for them to do their job. And then I'll point to them and say, look at how bad they're doing their job. We yeah. should definitely privatize. Right. And of course, we're, we're about to start a, a round of, uh, of huge federal deficits, right? Between, between the, uh, the tax cut, the enormous tax cut and the huge, uh, increase in spending that Congress just somehow passed we're going to have enormous deficits in the next three or four years. Uh, yeah. And it, it will probably become much easier to say, cut the VA. Yeah. So that's, I, I find that really frustrating in a, in a similar sort of theme. Uh, we recently, you mentioned this earlier. Uh, so HR McMaster's out uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, they want to put in John Bolton, uh, John Bolton, who actually couldn't get confirmed during the Bush years. That's right. As, uh, uh, would they make him like secretary to the UN? And they made him secretary for like a, a year. They did a, they did a sneaky little like. It was 18 months. It was, uh, he, you know, they, uh, it was ambassador to the UN and uh, George W. Bush knew that Congress would not confirm uh, John Bolton because he is terrible. Uh, and so he, uh, he made a recess appointment when Congress was not in session and appointed, to, uh, appointed Bolton to that post. And then 18 months later, when Congress, you know, because when you make a recess appointment uh, within 18 months, Congress has the option of, of then uh, having confirmation hearings and voting whether or not to confirm that individual. Uh, when they did that for John Bolton, they voted him out. Right? They, so they wouldn't for, confirm yeah. him. 
Because he's the worst. And so for anybody out there who's like, hey, who's John Bolton? Now, chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you know who John Bolton you is. But don't. if you don't know who John Bolton is, um, essentially, you know, he is a longtime well, oh, uh, State Department. He used to be in the State Department. Longtime State Department guy. He was uh, the lieutenant. So I'm, I'm the worst. He was basically Colin Powell's, like, he was the undersecretary when Colin yeah. Powell was Secretary of State. He's uh, essentially a warmonger. And a walrus in a man suit. And he has these terrible. Um, so he has a history. The reason he wouldn't be confirmed, he has a terrible history of basically running a department by intimidation. He doesn't listen to intelligence analysts. His big deal is that he gets a feel for like what he thinks is going on, and then he seeks out intelligence uh, reports to back that up. And he asks, he has asked intelligence analysts to change what they've written so that he can give speeches saying the intelligence says this. There were a bunch of intelligence analysts who were like, I'm not going to do that. Uh, And then he dressed them down just completely like red face, purple and red screaming at them and wanted people transferred. And I basically like is a, a tyrant, like a small time tyrant. And he, they sent him to the UN uh, because uh, George W. Bush hated the UN. And so they're like, Hey, let's send somebody who's really um, adversarial. And which makes sense because Trump is similar, but worse. And so now they want him to make, they want to make him the national security advisor. So Matt, the thing about John Bolton is in a lot of ways, I guess you could describe him as like the polar opposite of HR McMaster. Yeah. Is that is that a pretty good uh That's that's or, fair. That's yeah, fair. Yeah, that's fair. Uh HR McMaster believes in what we call the you know cause, and this is what we teach at our all our military academies uh in our our very uh vaunted and fancy uh professional military education schools where we groom people to become generals. We teach this this idea of a whole of government approach that uh, military power is only one tool that you have in a huge array of tools that a uh, a powerful country like the United States has at, at its disposal, uh, and that most of the time you should be using those other tools uh, to shape the strategic environment and to get the things done in the world that you want, uh, and that the military should be you know kind of your last resort. The political, the economic, the social tools should be the first things that you use, uh, and you should only use the military if you really have no other choice. Uh, Jonathan uh, John Bolton doesn't believe in those other tools. He thinks they are dumb. <laughs> Uh, he thinks that uh, the only thing, the only language anybody understands in the world is brute force, and he wants to use the military first to solve the problems of the world. Yeah, and and what's really frustrating is that when he was put up as the ambassador to the UN, you know, we were right in the middle of the Iraq War. Uh, in the middle, can we say that? Is uh, maybe it was the beginning. <laughs> but my point is, we were yeah. right around the time when the tide was turning, and people were realizing that we basically went to war on faulty intelligence. And John Bolton was somebody who was a. I don't know if he. I mean, he was at the State Department. He was somebody who who believed in we should go to war. We'll find the intelligence evidence we need to back up that claim like we'll just we'll just manufacture it and now uh he is up for national security advisor uh with a president who is already doesn't really understand like how the military works in the sense of like what you were just saying matt we're like hey this is one tool like this is somebody who uh gets really excited about tanks and wants to have a big military parade just like a uh just like a third world dictator yeah and uh, I mean, I don't know, Matt, like, here's the deal. 
Should I be worried? Should I? I mean, I ran into this guy. He's a juggler. He's like, Terry, I went to the Adelaide Fringe Festival in Adelaide, Australia. It's an amazing place. You should go there. You could get, um, he was talking to me about just like doing work. Should I, am I going to be hiding in Adelaide, Australia being like, oh, okay, well, I can, maybe I can go back in 2022. Like, is this something that I need to be concerned about, especially well, with these uh, North Korea things going on? So, you know, I, 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 I try to take a pretty even keeled approach to this stuff and not uh, not not overly react and not be hyperbolic. Uh, but this is really, really bad, uh, uh, especially right on the heels of of getting rid of Rex Tillerson. You know, uh, as as much as um, as I decry the uh, the hatchet job that Rex Tillerson did on the State Department, the dismantling of that institution that helps keep stability in the world, uh, you could at least count on Rex Tillerson to not, you know, automatically be in favor of bombing whoever we don't like on any given day, right? Right. Uh, and then, of course, then of course we had we've got um, uh, General Kelly uh, as the uh, as the chief of staff, um, and John Ke- Kelly is uh, uh, you know someone that you could would have expected to not be an enabler to Trump, uh, except that he seems to get worse the longer he spends around Trump. Uh, it's like the ring so of you, power, like in the Lord ring of, of the Rings. Right. Like <laughs> the longer you're right? around Trump, like you get weak and dizzy, and you have like, ugh, it's the worst. Yeah, and and then of course you had McMaster, who was a voice of of sanity and reason, right? So McMaster and Tillerson are gone, uh, replaced with lackeys. Uh, Kelly is unreliable at best, and so so now we only have General Mattis, the Secretary of Defense, as the only bulwark against Trump's worst impulses. Uh, now, Mattis is, is tough, and he has the benefit of a little bit of insulation, a little bit of distance, because he works across the river in the Pentagon and not in the White House. Uh, and so he and, and he is a highly principled uh, person and is is managed to of, of all of those four individuals. He was the, he's so far been the one who's managed to not be corrupted by uh, Trump's influence. Uh, but he's it. Right. And and can we can we really hope that Mattis is going to be able to survive, you know, in that position another three years, right? It, at any time, he could do something that, that Trump doesn't like, and he's gone too. So this is really bad. Okay, so which so let's talk about that. So this is really bad, which is not something you say often. That's something no. I say a lot. So and it, it, it's worrisome. It's it's definitely worrisome for me. Uh, I mean, for both of us, obviously. But like, the more anxious of the two is like, oh, I watch all these things on the news about North Korea and like the fact that Donald Trump can't just like let this stuff go. Like he can't just be like, you know what? We'll send some diplomats. There's plenty of ways to stall a country like North Korea. There's plenty of things in our toolkit. Uh, but it it seems like he only wants to like kick the beehive. And now we have someone who, like you were saying, definitely between the, the, the enables some of his worst impulses. The this brings me to something we usually lean into pretty heavily at the end of the show, but I'm going to start a little <laughs> early this week, uh-huh. uh, which is that you, you gotta you gotta call your reps. Like if this if if the idea of a warmongering walrus and. Uh, uh, enabling some of the worst impulses of a stupid president. Like, if that worries you, like, we have representatives that are supposed to stand between them and bad.
bad decisions. Now, unfortunately, if you live in a safe Republican district, like maybe not. Like the Republicans seem to be like, well, I don't like it, but I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to upset the balance of power. Like I want to keep passing laws, even though they're not really doing a whole. I mean, yeah. well, I could get into I could get into like what they are and aren't doing. Like they're not doing a lot of big things, but they definitely are just like doing a bunch of like rollbacks, which is just as harmful. But we definitely want to be at the very minimum. You want to be like voicing your concern and you want to make sure that the people who represent you know that this bothers you. And it's one of those things where it's a long game. You have to keep bugging them. And if you're the kind of person that's like, I I hate bugging people like I do, too. I hate bugging people. But it's something that I've just been like, that's what I got to do. Like, I got to make those calls or I got to send those resist bot messages. Like, I don't call every day anymore, but I definitely do one thing a day that definitely puts my voice in the ear of my congressmen and my senators. And it's really important that everyone really focus on doing that, because if you're uncomfortable, you need to make your representatives uncomfortable, because if they're not uncomfortable, they're not going to do anything to stop this. Like, at the end of the day, like, we that's, that's one of the primary human motivators. Like, am I yeah. comfortable or not comfortable? <laughs> Let me move to a comfortable place. Well, and you, and you know what is what would make your representatives the most uncomfortable? Uh, it, the idea, like they, a stink bomb, <laughs> like if you went to their place and you, like you left like one no, of those like no, prank no, shop stink bombs. No, no, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, that you could you could probably actually go to jail for that. <laughs> no, the thing that will make them the most uncomfortable is the idea that they may lose their job. Right. Uh, so uh, if if you don't like the representation that you're getting from your congressional representatives. The best way to get their attention is by going to work for their op- for their opponents, and we're in the primary season right now, and soon it will be general election time, uh, and we have got to we have got to get control of Congress. We we've got to do it. You know, th- th- there's a number of things that. So I'm still not. You know, I'm very very concerned uh, with the with the firing of McMaster and the appointment of uh, of Bolton. Uh, I'm I'm very very concerned about the firing of Shulkin. I'm not in panic mode yet. And the reason I'm not in panic mode is because there are, there are still things happening that make it very, very difficult for people like John Bolton and uh, Pompeo and some of these arch ideologues who have managed to worm their way into power under Donald Trump to wreak the havoc that they so want to wreak. Uh, and that is the sheer size, complexity, and bureaucratic momentum of the federal government. This is a thought that I've been having uh, lately, and that is, uh, and when we've seen it, right? You know, when 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 Rex Tillerson uh, was trying to dismantle the State Department, he was actually restrained from doing everything that he really wanted to do because Congress wouldn't cut the State Department budget, right? And so he had to spend that money, which means he had to have a certain number of people on the payroll, etc. If the Trump administration really wants to to privatize the VA, Congress is going to have to pass a law. That enables them to do that, and so far they haven't done that. They've made some modest reforms, and and Shulkin, you know, actually did a pretty good job of balancing those those privatization efforts with uh, preserving the core functions of the VA, and that actually resulted in some improvement in veterans' care. And there there is a lot of things that that we can you know veterans can go downtown to their local clinic and and get care for, and they don't necessarily need to drive an hour to a VA hospital, uh, but there are things that they do need that VA hospital for. And Shulkin did a, did, did a pretty good job of balancing those things, which is why all the veterans organizations supported him. He was able to do that because Congress made it possible. They passed his budget and they uh, didn't direct him to uh, aggressively privatize. 
right? So we've got to get more of our of of our representatives into Congress, and now is the time. The alarm bells are going off. We've got to do it. I like that because I want to say that the one thing that I, I think it's we got to find a way. So the like Donald Trump, uh, one of the things that he's very good at uh, is. And, and actually, in general, like a lot of the hard right have been good at for a while, coming up with like snappy uh, catchphrases, right? Like, <laughs> oh, we want to privatize or like, oh, we really want to. Um, OK, so that's the only one I can come up with at the moment. Oh, make America great again. All these things that kind of yeah. don't mean much. Like, like when you get to the substance of it, it doesn't mean much, but it doesn't matter because the messaging sticks. Right. People hear it and they go, yeah. I do want things to be more efficient. Therefore, I do want to privatize. And that's obviously <clears throat> having a a long nuanced conversation is not something that, that plays well on TV or on podcasts. So the, yeah. the messaging is really important, but it is very important. Like that we need to remember because it's, I think EE both sides can get into this. The idea that bureaucracy is bad. Like that's a, that's a thing that just kind of lives, <clears throat> pardon me, that lives in the American zeitgeist. The idea that like, oh, bureaucracy equals tedious and bad and this and that. And it can, but like that is not, that is not by definition. Like we need to, to remember that things like bureaucracy can put the brakes on really bad ideas, like what we're talking yeah. about. Like we need, and you know, I mean, like it would be great. <laughs> that's I why we have them. Yeah, that is exactly why we have them. You know, we need some messaging of our own. Like, you know, give me a B, B, give me a, bureaucracy bureaucracy but you get the idea i do think that it's important that people remember that bureaucracy isn't by its nature bad i know that like when we had the financial crisis back in 2008 2009 they had a talk with some folks from canada and they were uh in the financial sector and one of their i think it was a government guy that they were talking to in canada but he said you know everything up here goes a little slower and yeah that can be like inconvenient at times he's like but he's like the pattern in america we've noticed is that between every seven and ten years there's a giant meltdown and we don't have meltdowns and we don't have meltdowns because we go a little slower. And yes, you can get things yep. approved faster in the U.S. and you can do this a little bit better in the U.S. He's like, but here we don't have to like do these giant resets and like send a ton of people into foreclosure every seven to ten years because we go a little slower. And so bureaucracy is something that needs to be embraced. You know, it's it's like it's like when people say like stuff like, oh, I don't need this bureaucracy in my life, or I don't need this. You know, it, it, it reminds me of like teenagers who are like, oh, this speed limit. They don't they don't know me, man. I like to drive seventy five. <laughs> like I'm just like I'm feeling it, man. And I'm and then they say right. things like, uh, you know, when I'm speeding, and this is totally a thing I've heard from co-workers. Uh -huh. When I'm speeding, I'm on like a heightened alert. Like I'm more aware than when I'm not speeding, oh, so yeah. I'm not going to hurt anybody. Right. And like that it's is actually safer to go a lot faster. Yeah, it's actually safer when I'm speeding, man. If you would just get out of my way and let me do what I wanted. Uh -huh. And so it's important that we remember that things like bureaucracy are there. And so I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because I was I was feeling fine before this podcast, and we talked about John Bolton. I started checking my passport, but you know what? I'm back to normal. I'm back yeah. to normal. But it's important, it's important, important you that you let your representatives know. And and another thing is, like, let them know, not only go work for their opponents, but while they're still in, be loud yeah. and, and let them know how you feel. Because the other thing that, that we forget sometimes is that it's not always the majority of voices that get attention. It's the loudest of voices, which is why, in some ways, this is why we're in the situation we're in, because... 
Trump's base only makes up like high 20s, low 30% yeah. of the country. Yeah. But he was able to successfully divide. And then the other thing that he's able to do is like, they're just really loud. And the media is like, oh, well, we need to take these things seriously. Right. And that's not always the case. Like if, if, if one third of a group wants something that is bad for the whole group, we shouldn't give them that much weight, but we tend to because they're the loudest and everyone else is like, well, just ignore them and just ignore them can sometimes not be the right way to go. Be loud. Let your representatives know how you feel and be loud because I promise you people with bad ideas are louder. And that's why they're louder is, is I think deep down, they actually know not that they're bad ideas, but they know that they know that they're vastly outnumbered. And so they know to compensate for it by being loud. So we have to be just as loud about what we need and what we want. No question. So Matt, we probably have to get going, but I know you wanted to talk about the Pentagon budget really quick. I know that I've been hashtag audit the Pentagon and people have been listening. <laughs> yeah. And by people, I mean, I don't think anyone's listening, but talk to me a little bit about the Pentagon budget before we go here. Sure. Well, so the good news is we have one now. Congress finally passed it. Uh, and now the the uh, the Pentagon can can go about the business of of executing their planned budget. The very curious thing about this this budget is it it includes seventy eight billion dollars that the Pentagon didn't even ask for. Uh, an increase in the defense budget of, of seventy eight billion dollars over last year. Uh, and so now the so every you know every year uh, all the way down to the to the squadron level. Uh, every unit in the military puts together what they call an unfunded requirements list, uh, where they say, hey, here's all the things we need to do our mission that we don't have a, a budget for, and here's the priority. And so if we get extra money, call fallout money, this is what we're going to spend it on, right? So now that so now that it's halfway through the fiscal year, and they've been sort of constraining the budget, the, the execution of the budget uh, up till now, because they didn't have the spending authority to execute their normal budget, uh, and the fact that this budget is is significantly higher than last year's budget and significantly higher than what the Pentagon asked for and was expecting to execute. It will now be a mad scramble for the rest of the year to spend all of that money, right? Which means they're going to start working their way down to the through their unfunded requirements list. And some of it will be uh, good and useful stuff, you know, that will enhance their uh, ability to carry out their mission. And But a lot of it is going to be dumb things that they don't need like big screen TVs for the squadron uh, lounge or whatever uh, that uh, are just not essential to them accomplishing their mission. Uh, but they got to spend that money, right? Uh, just a, a, a terrible example of how to manage your military. It's, it's, it's kind of disheartening, right? And it's, it, it's going to give the Pentagon no incentive to try to figure out what they need to do with all that money and try to be more responsible with it. Uh, and cut out the waste. They don't need to audit themselves because Congress is just going to give them more money than they asked for. And what's really frustrating about that is I want, there's just no reason, there's no reason. to give an organization $78 billion more dollars than they asked for yeah. when there are plenty of other things in the country that sure. we need money for, especially like after these ridiculous tax cuts that are going to that are going to balloon deficits. And, and now they're like Paul Ryan and, uh, and Mitch McConnell are like, Oh, well, you know, we gotta, we gotta cut social security. We gotta cut, uh, welfare. And I'm like, do we $78 billion? Like you could send, I don't even know how many kids you could send to college on $78 billion. All right? of them. Somebody out there. All of them. Yeah, you could send all say, of them uh, to college. Yeah. Right. Like we could, <laughs> it's just, it's just maddening that this is sort of the, uh, 
it's just maddening that this is the, the the state that we're living in right now, where where all we talk about is tightening our belt, tightening our belt, tightening our belt, and oh, we gotta we gotta privatize, we gotta make this more efficient, and then we're like, but here's a literally seventy eight billion more dollars than you asked for. Yeah, figure something out. And you're right, like like my dad worked for uh, the army and then the Army Corps of Engineers, and he talked about how every year when they had extra money in the budget, he had to like stop his employees from ordering stuff they didn't need because they wanted to like have that money again next year. So yeah. they had to spend it on new chairs they didn't need, or like you were saying, a big screen TV for the lounge or just something that like, you know, people spend a ton of time complaining about the waste in um, social safety net spending yeah. and how like, Oh, these people don't have jobs, but they can, they can have satellite TV or they've got a big right. screen. And like, at the end of the day, right? Human dignity is human dignity, and people need to be like, uh, we we need to help lift people up. If we're just giving seventy eight billion extra dollars that are, that's going to go to like free sodas and uh, like you were saying, like big screen TVs and yeah. the like, we need a military, right? I'm not one of those guys who's like, hey, we need to like disband the military. We need a military, but we absolutely don't need to just give them all the money all just, the time. Just throw kind of money at them because, you know, support the troops or whatever, right? They 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 don't they haven't asked for it. They don't need it. We could we could do better. Yeah, if you want a big screen TV in your in your staff lounge, like do what we did at my job and like sell soft pretzels for like a month and a half and then you can buy that big screen TV, right? Get a soft oh, pretzel right. place to donate some soft pretzels and sell them. Yeah. And they right, they and they've already like there's you need some big screen TVs for your command center and for your you know, your operations, uh, your mission planning cell or, or whatever, right? And those are in the budget and those are valid requirements and, and those are already funded, right? So, so you yeah, know. I'm not saying no big screen TVs. I'm just saying extra ones or like if you want like an HBO Now subscription right. for like the guys, <laughs> right. like I don't need you to. Could, you could pitch in. You have a, most units have a booster club. They have some fundraisers to buy that kind of stuff. And, you know, that, that that's where that stuff should come from. So I'm going to use that to segue right back into like call your reps. If you don't like this, there's probably nothing to be done about it. Pardon me this year, but like call your reps, like let them know. I'm going to end on that because let's, let's leave people a little bit, a little bit like agitated, right? So they can get out there and get some, get some stuff done. But Matt, tell me about where you can, where they can find us on social media. I usually do this, but I always blow it and forget what their, what the handles are. So uh, we are on Twitter. We are at over there pod. Uh, I'm on Twitter as at Martin3116. We have a Facebook page uh, entitled Official colon The Over There Podcast. Uh, and our website is bluecircle.org. So you can find us at any of those places. We have a Gmail, right? It's uh, overtherepod at gmail.com oh, yeah, in case yeah. they want to send us like an email that's yeah. like, hey, how how dare you? How <laughs> dare you say that they need to sell soft pretzels? Uh, how dare you, sir? Know. They should be cupcakes. They should be selling cupcakes. Yeah. Uh, but um, yeah, so get a hold of us. Let us know. You can find me on Twitter at, at Terrence Brennan, T E R R E N C E Brennan B R E N N A N. I never check that account. But if you if you want to send me something, I <laughs> uh, will get back to you in approximately ten days. You can also find me on Facebook at uh, just uh, at Terrence M Brennan. That's where the confusion comes in. Uh, you can find me there. Uh, I post a lot of activism stuff all the time. But uh, Matt, it was really good talking to you about all this stuff today. As always, I'll see you over there. I'll see you over there as well, Terry. Over and out. Over and out. Over there, that our boys are coming. Our boys are coming. 
the drums, rum tum in everywhere. So prepare, say a prayer, send the word, send the word to beware. We'll be over, we're coming over, and we won't come back till it's over. over.